This morning, we're celebrating Pentecost, the indwelling of the Spirit of God on the early believers of, of those that were gathered um, following Jesus. An interesting fact I learned this past week about Pentecost. It is right around 50 days after Passover, Jesus' death and resurrection. And this coincides with a Jewish holiday, and that of Shavuot. I may not be pronouncing that correctly, but I'm trying. Which celebrates the anniversary of the Jewish people receiving the Torah. So the early Jesus followers who received the gift of the Spirit were also celebrating Shavuot. And so they were receiving not only, or celebrating not only the gift of God, of, from God of the Torah, receiving the Torah, they were also being re- recipients of the Holy Spirit. And Paul's letter here in Romans expounds on his own belief of life in the Spirit, wide and expansive expansive as it was. The Romans were a community mixed of Jews and Gentiles, those that lived with the identity of being God's people and those who were on the outside of this identity. This picture is an identity that does not come from the spirit of slavery, as Paul's words say, that are bound by fear and indebtedness, but that of adoption, a place of belonging and freedom, communicating choice instead of election. The familial imagery used here is one they and I believe we can identify with. It's one based on relationship rather than association. The church, for me, was like that growing up. Our extended family lived at quite a distance, and so the church held those close relationships that I look back on now and see as relationships like cousins, like aunts and uncles, grandparents. And quite frankly, our family units are not always the ones in which we share deep things in common. We often choose with whom we have our close connections to share the depths of experience in life, from the joys to our present sufferings. The believers in Rome knew of suffering The Jewish community knew well of the oppressive forces of the Roman rule. Paul acknowledges that life did not always go well for them and will not always go well. There would be suffering, but suffering in the context of family and being a child of God allowed one's suffering to endure. This, alongside the image of family, placed Jew and Gentile together, the interconnectedness with them, 
deepened. This kind of intimate relationship anchors one's identity. There's a sense of belonging, a love that runs so deep that suffering, even though felt, lives into a hope that the suffering won't last forever. We live in a fractured world. We're still grieving the losses of COVID and the reckoning that needs to happen with all the isms and phobias, many that stem from fear. We are a changed people. And not only that, relationships, systems, countries, people groups, churches, and even creation itself is experiencing the brokenness which reaches as far back to the beginning with Adam and Eve's separation through sin. Paul works with this intimate relationship between humanity and creation. Humanity has subjected suffering onto creation. Humanity experiences the death and decay of creation. We not only suffer with one another, we suffer with creation. And the creation itself suffers, groaning as in labor. I find it fascinating here that Paul chooses labor as a descriptor, as he himself would not have experienced labor firsthand. Maybe he heard labor stories or even uh, shouts of women in labor in their community growing up. Nonetheless, it is an imagery that I appreciate as a woman and as one who has endured labor. Labor is intense. There is a raw vulnerability that swells from the depths with great pain and intensity that cannot be ignored. For me, labor was a piercing, it caused a piercing focus on breath itself. It was only in focusing on my breathing that I was able to get through the pain of one contraction that led from one contraction to another. Creation, subjected to the patterns of humanity, has suffered as in labor. Perhaps the more severe weather patterns, glaciers melting at record rates, sea level rising, the poorest living in the lowest sea levels or at the lowest sea levels where their homes are being threatened, rainforests being bulldozed to erect palm trees to feed humanity's insatiable appetite for palm oil, droughts increasing, floods threatening. Perhaps those are the Earth's contractions. Just when one disaster is addressed and there is a breath, another occurs. 
But Paul doesn't stop there. Not only creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly, waiting for our redemption. The brokenness of creation reflects our own brokenness. We experience cutoff in our relationships, floods of loneliness, bulldozed by our ever-bearing busyness, surviving from one crisis to another. Words escape us in those times when the pain in our depths are so deep. When depression, sickness, or despair are paralyzing, the Holy Spirit is present with us to intercede on our behalf, allowing our very breath to express what we cannot. Our very breath. What a gift. Just as Mariah invited the children to breathe deeply, I invite you to do that now. If you want to lay your hand on your chest and on your abdomen, feel free to do that. Close your eyes, perhaps. Breathe in slowly and deeply, inviting God's Spirit to enter. God's love to pour out. We are tempted to allow the demands of life take hold of our very breath, keeping us running this way and that, breathing shallowly and quickly to keep up with ourselves and others. When we stop and breathe deeply and slowly, we live into a different invitation, one of an alive spirit within you. The same spirit that is present with the labor pains of creation is present with us, connecting all that is living. There are more and more studies that show how time spent outdoors lowers heart rate, releases tension, reduces stress and cortisol levels. We seem to have a symbiotic relationship with creation. We take in oxygen and we release carbon dioxide. The trees and the green leafy plants take in that carbon dioxide and release oxygen. We experience its beauty, its tranquility. We soak in the sunshine. We absorb the nourishing rains. We need each other. We share in the blessings and the groanings that are too deep for words. 
Paul seems to communicate here that humanity is a part of setting creation free. As we make courageous choices to care for creation, we in turn are cared for. Not only creation, but also our siblings in some of the most vulnerable places in our world. Like the slums where Hugo and Grace live in in Jakarta, where the sea level rise threatens the very existence of the community in which they live. When we act individually and communally at curbing our carbon footprint, living sustainably, perhaps even giving something up. We are caring for their humanity as they are restored, and we are being restored in the process. Stephen Charleston, author of Ladder to the Light, is a member of the Choctaw Nation and an Episcopalian priest. He describes it this way. The understanding of community, of kinship, in the spiritual tradition of Native America is vast and liberating. Community extends in a great circle around all of creation. It includes not only the tribe of the human beings, but many other tribes as well, both seen and unseen. All living things are a family, and that family is permeable. The vision of our renewal begins the moment we understand that creation is not all about us, but about life. Later, he says, kinship means not conformity, but relationship. Deep, spiritual relationship. It means being a nation without boundaries and hierarchies. It means being willing to take less so others may have more. Not because it is the law, but because it is love. This love is what holds us when we are in the midst of suffering. And Paul says as much, suffering happens. But he makes it clear that suffering does not have the last word. In God, we have hope that redemption, restoration, and resurrection are the last words. He concludes this by saying that nothing can separate us from the love of God. In a time when the Roman rule was harsh, Paul lists off a number of ways that people would have suffered, and I'm sure there could have been a longer list, offering assurance of God's unending love. And this message is not new in the scriptures. It harkens back to the Hebrew scriptures that Paul would have stoked in during his growing up years and as a Pharisee, and then continued the message after his conversion God's infinite love is always present, ready to be received at any moment, even when the feeling of God is absent. James Finley, a Christian psychotherapist, 
speaks about the infinite love of God, the holy welling up, presencing itself and pouring itself out. This is the God-given, godly nature of every breath and heartbeat. It is the sun moving across the sky, our breathing out and breathing in, the miracle of being alive and real in the world. Our hope lies there. Trusting that God's love is with us and in us, individually and communally, with creation at all times, even when we don't feel it. How hard it is to live out our faith in those moments when absence is the predominant sensation and hope seems so small. We need lament and confession. We need each other. We need our kinship of all beings. We need breath. We need the Holy Spirit to keep the life force within us all alive. Thanks be to God that we are promised this. God's presence, spirit divine, one who holds us in love and never forsakes us. Amen and alleluia. Let us join together in confession. As we also in faith breathe in the Holy Spirit, inviting restoration within each one of us. You call us to be voices in this world, and we stay silent. You call us to be your hands in this world, and we keep them hidden. You call us to be your feet in this world, and we go our own way. When we meet those who are doubting and saying nothing, forgive us. When we meet those who need your touch and do nothing, forgive us. When we are called to take up your cross and carry nothing, forgive us. Breathe life into these bones. Bring freedom to these lives that we might declare with heart and soul and voice that you are our Lord and our God. Amen.